You're listening to the Better With Books podcast, a weekly podcast for entrepreneurs looking to bridge the gap between reading for business and reading for fun. I'm your host, Kate Hollis, conversion copywriter and part-time librarian, ready to guide you toward finding meaningful, actionable insights into yourself, your clients, and your business through works of fiction and creative nonfiction. Join me each week to discuss a new title from genres ranging from fantasy to romance and everything in between. Unconventional? Definitely. But that's where the good stuff is. Think of this as your own personal on-demand book club, one where reading the book is 100% optional and all are welcome. Come for the book recommendations and stay for the inspiration because I think you'll find that your business and your life will be better with books. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 13 of Better With Books. We are mixing things up a little bit this week. As you might know, like nine times out of 10, we talk about works of fiction on this show because I am a firm believer that there is truth in fiction, even if it's not, quote, real. You know, I I ultimately created this show because I felt a very definite void in the entrepreneur community for deep, meaningful conversations inspired by books. Books that the entrepreneur culture encourage us to read are books about business. But to the point that many people I knew were only reading books like this and not ones that nourished them in other ways too. And that just made me really sad. So, you know, while we are most often talking about fiction on Better With Books, I also wanted to keep room for select works of nonfiction that are not about business. And that's what we're talking about today. The book we're focusing on in this episode is a memoir called Belonging, A German Reckons with History and Home by Nora Krug. And not only is this a memoir, it's an illustrated one, also by the author. And so it is what's known as a graphic memoir, which I will be honest, I had never encountered before. And this book was published in 2018. And I don't think I would have come across this book on my own if I didn't stumble across it on my sister's coffee table when I was up visiting her. By the way, if you are not creeping on books at your friends' and family's houses, you are missing out on a gold mine. <laughs> I think it is so fun to see what piques their interests and then to ask them to talk about it. Every time I ask someone to tell me about what they're reading, no matter who they are. There's this definite shift of energy. People get more animated and they want to share. So, you know, I asked about this one and it turns out that it won a Reader's Choice Award on Goodreads. And I was like, okay, you know, I don't read many graphic novels, even though this is not a novel. Um, and I didn't have a reason for that. And after reading this one, I have read several more illustrated 
works. Uh, one of them is the topic of episode eight of Better With Books, by the way. So if you're interested and you haven't listened to that one, um, you might want to circle back and check it out. So back to this book. Nora Krug is a German-born writer and illustrator who at the time of this book was living in New York. She was born in the late 70s, so, you know, 30 plus years after the Holocaust. But she still feels deeply haunted and ashamed by the history of her country. And growing up in Germany after the Second World War was very complex. She never learned their country's national anthem. She never even held a German flag because there was this collective distancing from the nationalism that Germany had become infamous for under the Hitler regime. And as a kid, this was really confusing for her because as humans, we just kind of have this natural draw toward the sense of home, where we're from, and deriving some kind of collective identity from it. And she did learn about World War II. She learned about the Holocaust, but it was never talked about by her family. And there was also no mention of Judaism, period, either. But she still knows that, you know, there are things that she's not being taught. There are things that her family is not engaging with, and she doesn't know how to relate to her identity as a German. And she really wants to come to terms with it, with what happened, and to understand what role her parents, grandparents, extended relatives may have played in it. She just wanted to know, like, were they complicit? Were they guilty? And this is the premise of the book. As an adult, she is determined to find out because she has these almost ghost-like characters in her family history. She has an uncle who was a soldier in the German army who was killed in Italy and who her father was named after because he was born after his uncle was, or her uncle was killed in combat. And she has an aunt who she's never met because she and Nora's father became very estranged because of this really complex dynamic of what the war did to their family. And Nora has memories of being on vacation in Italy and finding the cemetery where her uncle was buried and just really wanting to understand what this meant to her family. And so that's on her father's side of the family. You know, her mother is also German and she has bits and pieces of information about her maternal grandfather who owned a taxi company and it seems employed many local people, including local Jews. And, you know, she really wants to believe that her family did not perpetuate any kind of harm 
against others. And she kind of has these fantasies about how her grandfather in particular, like, took a stand against the Nazi party and followed his conscience. But she doesn't know if that's true. And she feels like she won't find any peace until she does. So this book is the story of her journey back to Germany. And we follow her, you know, as she like goes deep into archival documents. She travels to remote towns and interviews people who were alive during the war. You know, maybe they remembered or they knew her uncle or her grandfather. And she does find answers and some peace in doing so. And I, I read up on her a little bit after I finished the book. And I found this interview where she said to the reporter, quote, I hope the younger generation of Germans, including my daughter, don't grow up with the paralyzing sense of guilt that I did because that can turn into the opposite sentiment. Quote, I'm sick and tired of feeling guilty, she said. I want them to find something more productive so they can think about how to contribute to society today. So this book was really, really interesting, not only from a content perspective, but also visually. Um, You know, I've read other works of graphic fiction and nonfiction since reading this one, but none that looks like this particular book. It has like a scrapbook kind of vibe to it. There are cutouts of old photos of her family members. There are clippings of postcards and letters. And the text itself either looks handwritten like it's from a journal or like it was typed on a typewriter. And the illustration style is very folksy, very rustic, and at times almost a little bit crude or rudimentary, but in a way that you can tell is very intentional and effective because the imagery reinforces the text and makes it even more impactful as a reader. And where this book differs from other works of graphic fiction or nonfiction I've read is that this was not a quick read. Other graphic novels I've read are a little bit faster to get through than like a traditional narrative-based book. This one was not. I really took my time with this one because there is so much to look at and take in. Even things that are just really small and every piece is there for a reason. Like I've never read anything like this and I'm really glad that I did. And I just felt so much compassion for Nora in her struggle to find peace within herself and her family history and her own identity. Like she so desperately wanted to understand like what role her ancestors played in these atrocious events of history. Like, were they bad people? And 
you know, as she talks with people along her journey, you know, she learned that there was a real cost to people who didn't enroll in the Nazi party. You know, what it meant for their families, their livelihoods. It was not an easy thing to do to stand up and say no. And it really shone a light on the fact that like doing the right thing and standing up for your beliefs isn't always a straightforward act, especially when you have a family to support. And that for the millions of people who were enrolled in the Nazi party, you can't assume that they all had the same reason for joining or even the same belief systems as the party that they were enrolled in. You know, but you can't help but when you take a step back and you see the collective damage that happened because of the rise of the Nazi party in terms of the Holocaust, casualties of the war across the world, you know, it's hard to forgive exactly, but you can understand the circumstances that gave rise to it. Like Nora went into this project with a hope of finding that her ancestors were heroes and they weren't really, they were human, but they also weren't villains. Like when it came down to them as individual people, like this dichotomy between heroes and villains is one that is naturally appealing to people. Like just think about the number of shows and movies that play off this dynamic. And that's partly because it is easy and satisfying to put things into clear categories like good versus bad. But I think there's a movement now to question this particular narrative. You know, if you think about movies or TV shows that have come out in the last few years, there are several that feature characters that were traditionally treated as villains who are now the main character of the movie and portrayed sympathetically. So, you know, for example, Cruella de Vil from 101 Dalmatians, a very straightforward evil villain who was portrayed as being multifaceted, complex in her own feature film that came out more recently. Same thing with Loki from the Thor franchise. You know, he's funny and tricksy and he gets into trouble. And even though he's done so many awful things, you also can't help but root for him because you're watching how he's growing and developing right in front of your eyes. On the flip side though, you know, categories of people who were once treated as universally, quote, good, have become more widely recognized as not exactly being that way. So for example, while there are many good, fair police officers in the world, you also can't ignore police violence against the Black community. And significant ethical violations too. Here in Massachusetts, there have been many news stories about corruption within the state police force in particular. So, you know, I know in parenting my son that 
I'm really deliberate in choosing to not reinforce that kind of black and white thinking when it comes to people's character. Because when he comes home from school and he tells me about something mean a kid did, you know, we talk about how sometimes people do bad things but aren't bad people. And they just may not have anyone to teach them how to act differently. So in the entrepreneurial world, the hero villain dichotomy is still going really strong though. You hear mention of the hero's journey a lot in our world. You know, as individuals, you know, we're charting our own path. Like you can see how someone might make that comparison because you know, we are defying the odds, we are courageous, we're doing hard things, and we want to be successful. And traditionally, the hero's journey is a plot structure where that narrative plays out in that particular way. And this comes from mythology. You go from the origin story, you have various conflict points and dilemmas, some side characters here or there, before ultimately you are triumphant. And I'll be honest, this rhetoric has never felt right to me on a personal level. Because I, you know, as an entrepreneur, like I am not looking to be a hero, like not even close. I don't need glory. I just wanna be a good person and to do a good job and to live a good life. And I wanna do it on my own terms in my own way. And I don't need to like vanquish any villains to find that kind of success. In the marketing world in particular, which is the world that I'm in as a copywriter, this language of heroes and villains is very pervasive. In fact, there is a very well-regarded very popular marketing framework that invokes this language specifically. And it argues that you need to set up your client or your potential client as the hero and identify the villain in their story so that they know kind of what they're working against. So it specifically draws this story structure from mythology and helps you craft a narrative that your audience can see themselves in. And it's often effective. But even if it is effective, I'm still not a fan of this approach. To the extent that if I have a consult call with a potential client and they mention this particular approach or framework, I'm upfront about the fact that my philosophy is different and that I I very deliberately don't use it. Because one thing that just doesn't sit right with me is that oftentimes the thing that is identified as the villain in this marketing context is something that is within ourselves. And I just don't feel right about that. So, you know, for example, if I have cystic acne, my hormones become the villain. And, you know, maybe I don't have childcare. And the villain in that situation is 
like my calendar and all the stuff on it that I can't do. When in reality, you know, my hormones are not the villain. It's just a reflection that my body needs to heal and reset. And with the childcare issue, it's not a matter of time scarcity. It's a much bigger systemic issue. It's about the fact that society just doesn't support working mothers or acknowledge the extent of women's suffering. Like marketing encourages us to keep things simple, not to overthink it. And to a degree, that is fair. But I think that, you know, for you to confidently land on the simplest, most relatable messaging, you have to engage with all of the messy stuff first. Because if you don't, you could unintentionally perpetuate some very harmful stereotypes. And I just don't feel good about encouraging people to hate things within themselves. You know, self, self-compassion is, is hard to cultivate. And I don't want to give anybody any reason to make it more difficult. So I think you'll find most often that the people who argue in favor of invoking the hero's journey or keeping marketing, quote, simple, the folks who are talking about this most are usually heterosexual cis white men. And I think that it is often a justification to look the other way from things that are really difficult. So even if the creation of a villain wasn't harmful, not everyone wants to be a hero, at least in a traditional sense. Like, I think it is a really slippery slope here. So if you're considering using this approach in your marketing or you already have, I would just encourage you to proceed with caution. And, you know, the question then becomes, so if we're not using the hero's journey framework, then what? To that, I would say, you know, don't look to mythology for inspiration. Like, look to what is real. And that's human emotion. What people want in their heart of hearts. Figure out what that is, even when it's messy and complex, and speak to that. Because if you can truly give it to them, I think that's a really beautiful way to show up in service to other people. And I've got to know, what is your take on the hero's journey? Have you used it? And how did it work for you? Um, And if you want to explore what your messaging could look like using a different, more meaningful approach, send me an email at kate at katehollis.co to set up a free consult. My email address is in the show notes, along with an affiliate link to purchase this week's book. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Better With Books podcast. If you like what you heard, please share with friends, fellow entrepreneurs, anyone who loves to read and share books. You 
could leave a review on your preferred streaming platform so that this podcast can be found by other people who love books as much as we do. You can also support the show by purchasing the titles I discuss using my affiliate links, which you can find in the show notes. The books I discuss on the Better With Books podcast are not sponsored by any third parties. I just pick them because I like them. All opinions are my own. Join me again next Friday to nerd out about another book and email me at kate at betterwithbookspodcast.com to let me know what you think about today's episode and anything else you might like me to talk about in the future. Until next time.